This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where Circuit Judge John Cooper is hearing legal arguments in a trial over the governor's right to ban mask mandates at local schools. We are not asking the governor to mandate masks, but only that he allow local school boards to do so without punishment, should they so choose. But attorneys for the governor say he did nothing wrong. Now, the plaintiffs disagree with the state's policy promoting parent choice, but a disagreement with that policy is not a legally sufficient basis to set aside the executive order and emergency rule. The trial continues today. Another day on the road with Ron DeSantis as he continues to plug Regeneron in St. Lucie, Alachua, and Inglewood. Uh, it is something that has flown under the radar for most of the past nine months, but it, it does have a very good track record. And at the end of the day, you know, we want to bring all the tools in the toolbox out to be able to, to help people as best we can. And you remember that awful photo last week of people lying on the floor of a Regeneron Center in Jacksonville, writhing in pain while they waited? Turns out the woman in one of those pictures, she's okay. She's feeling so much better, and she's convinced, had she not gotten that Regeneron treatment, she would have been one of those people in the ICUs on the ventilator. That's how bad she really felt. What do you get when you combine a mask supporter with a podium microphone with an anti-masker holding a megaphone? I think it would sound something like this. In the form of a that was the scene in St. Petersburg where, coincidentally, this is Election Day. Just make sure you can yell the loudest. We'll also have your calendar of political events and the story of a Florida woman accused of throwing her pussy in the river. His name was Stanley. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, August 24th. This is Kobe Bryant Day, National Waffle Day, and Pluto's Demotion Day. It's been 15 years since Big Astronomy decided Pluto is only a dwarf planet. On this date in 410, Rome was overrun by the Visigoths. It was the first time the city had been sacked in 800 years, generally regarded as the fall of the Western Roman Empire. In 1877, American outlaw John Wesley Harden was arrested by Texas Rangers on a train in Pensacola. In 1992, Hurricane Andrew hit South Florida, making landfall at Elliott Key and later Homestead. There were 44 deaths, $25 billion in damage. And three years ago today, the lead singer of Aerosmith, Steven Tyler, sent a cease and desist letter to Donald Trump demanding that he stop using the band's songs at his rallies. The legal wrangling is underway in the case of the mask mandates. A group of parents is suing the governor and the Department of Education over an executive order that prevents school boards from requiring students to mask up. Charles Dotson represents the parents, and he told Judge John Cooper they have the right to protect their kids. The COVID-19 pandemic has affected everyone's lives in this country for now over one and a half years. And now we have the Delta variant. This already horrible pandemic has been made drastically worse by the Delta variant. It, the Delta variant, is vastly different from the original COVID-19 strain. The evidence will show it's much more contagious. Hospitals throughout the state are again nearing capacity for COVID-19 patients. Neither vaccinated individuals nor children are immune from infection by 
or transmission of the Delta variant. Consequently, the Center for Disease Control, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and numerous other medical experts and groups have stated that given the status of the Delta variant, we should have mandatory masking in schools. Children under the age of 12 cannot be vaccinated. We are not asking the governor to mandate masks, but only that he allow local school boards to do so without punishment, should they so choose. This case, Your Honor, we believe is governed by the Florida Constitution. We look first to Article 9, Section 4B of the Florida Constitution, which provides that the local school boards shall operate, control, and supervise all free public schools within a school district. It doesn't say the school boards have that duty unless the governor wants to. We believe, according to the Florida Constitution and that provision, each local school board and only each local school board should be able to decide for each school district whether masks should be mandatory. Those children under age 12 can't be vaccinated, and they very well can and are catching this very contagious and very dangerous Delta variant and spreading it. You are going to hear testimony from several physicians of different medical specialties. They will explain more thoroughly the Delta variant, how it is transmitted, and the effect it has on our children. They will explain to you why masks for everyone in the school is an essential factor in making our schools safe for our children. The other provision of the Florida Constitution you're gonna be hearing about is Article 9, Section 1, which provides the education of children is a fundamental value of the people of the state of Florida, and that it is a paramount duty of the state to make adequate provision for the education of all children residing within its borders. It further provides that adequate provision shall be made by law for a safe and secure system of free public schools. Because of the Delta variant, our public schools are not safe and secure at this time unless everyone wears a mask. The state is represented by Michael Abel, who says this is not about masks. He told Judge Cooper it's about the rights of parents. In the past year and a half, every parent has been afraid. We understand that. And I want to say this at the outset. We don't fault or criticize the plaintiff families for any of the actions they're taking. You love your children. You want what's best for your children. We respect the fact that you want to do everything possible that you genuinely believe will help protect your children. And despite the raging political debate that's occurring outside of this court, we know you came here with a principled disagreement rooted in your genuinely held beliefs. When it comes to masking in schools, this is hardly a settled issue. There's an ongoing debate over whether masks are more harmful than beneficial to children or to school environments in general. The governor's executive order recognized this explicitly. But ultimately, given historical data on COVID-19 and this ongoing debate, 
the governor made the policy decision to protect the freedoms and statutory rights of students and parents. And he did this by resting with the parents the decision whether their children should wear masks in schools. In this dispute, we're talking about the faces of school children. At its heart, this case involves a parent purporting to decide what covers the face of someone else's child. Doesn't it really determine the safety of school children first? We will present evidence of exactly what the court is, is, is addressing, Your Honor. Okay. The Florida legislature and the governor believe that there should be a very strong justification for covering the faces of school children over the objections of their parents. They concluded on due consideration of the science, the health, and the state's educational mission that mandating the covering of children's faces was not justified here. The executive order and emergency rule protect the rights of parents to make health and educational decisions for their children. And in this context, expressly provide the freedom for parents to choose whether their own kids should have their faces covered at school. The, the executive order and emergency rule had a rational basis. They were data-driven and they followed the science. Now as a legal matter presented in this court, we will show that the executive order and emergency rule were enacted in accordance with the Florida Constitution and Florida statutes. We'll also show that both the executive order and emergency rule further a legitimate governmental purpose, that is, protecting parents' rights, and that it's reasonably related to achieving that purpose by giving parents a choice about their children's use of masks at school. In a challenge that the plaintiffs are making here, constitutionality is presumed and it must be construed whenever possible to affect the constitutional outcome. To overcome this presumption, the invalidity must appear beyond reasonable doubt. And case law explains that plaintiffs have the burden of proof to show unconstitutionality by negating every conceivable basis for upholding the law. Now the plaintiffs disagree with the state's policy promoting parent choice, but a disagreement with that policy is not a legally sufficient basis to set aside the executive order and emergency rule. On day one of the hearing, the parents called on USF researcher Dr. Thomas Unash to help make their case. In your opinion, is it safe for children to attend school without mask mandates? Um, in an ideal world, we wouldn't need a mask mandate and everybody would do the right thing. And even if we didn't have the mask mandate, all the students would come in and be masked. Um, but we unfortunately, obviously, do not live in an ideal world. And I do believe that in the absence of a mask mandate, you're going to see a relatively large percentage of the students in, in the classes without masks. And that's going to really uh, allow the virus a lot more opportunity to be transmitted. They'll be back at it in court this morning. A coalition of parents called a press conference outside the Pinellas County School Board Monday to urge the board to stand up to the governor and impose a mask mandate. One anti-masker also showed up with a megaphone. Hey, my name is Reverend Emily Hoka. I'm a United Methodist pastor here in Clearwater, Florida. I have three sons, one who is old enough to be vaccinated, two who are not, including a preschooler who suffers from epilepsy. Already in the first seven days of this school year, my family has been quarantined and tested due to possible COVID-19 symptoms. We are thankful and grateful that we Talk about a filibuster, the woman on the megaphone kept going nonstop for an hour. 
The governor stopped off in Fort Pierce and Inglewood Monday to announce they're opening three new Regeneron facilities, places where you can get treated for COVID if you're in the early stages of the infection. Ron DeSantis says it even helps if you've been vaccinated and come down with a breakthrough case. We're pleased to announce that starting today, we'll be offering monoclonal antibody treatments at the Havard L. Fenn Center uh, right here in Fort Pierce. Uh, And this site will be open seven days a week, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And we'll be able to do up to 320 individual patients every single day. Uh, We're also opening today a site in Alachua County at Fellowship Church in High Springs. That will also be open seven days a week, nine to five. Uh, The monoclonal antibody treatments are are free of charge to the patients. Uh, There's whatever they cost. The federal government paid for that a long time ago. So if you're somebody that qualifies and can benefit by that, you come in, uh, you're not going to be charged for it. And so, look, same thing we've always said. We want to make this stuff available for all. This isn't mandated. It's up to you uh, whether you want to avail yourself of it. But uh, it is something that has flown under the radar for most of the past nine months. But it it does have a very good track record. And at the end of the day, we want to bring all the tools in the toolbox out to be able to, to help people as best we can. The governor was joined by Dr. Ken Shepke, the chief medical officer for the Division of Emergency Management, who said FDA approval of the Pfizer vaccine could overcome a bit of vaccine hesitancy. We just learned recently that Pfizer uh, got full FDA approval. And the reason why I bring that up is because in addition to the monoclonals, which is our treatment arm, we still have our vaccines, which is our best prevention arm. And I know a number of folks uh, have been sort of waiting to see how the vaccine rolls out. And some of them are waiting for the full FDA approval. Now we can say we've had millions of Floridians get this, hundreds of millions of people get, world, uh, get the, the vaccine worldwide. And as the governor mentioned, the vaccines are still holding up really well, prevent severe illness, hospitalization, and death. So if you're one of those folks who are sitting on the fence waiting, I think now maybe with the FDA approval, maybe it's time to take another look at that. And I encourage you to get, get the vaccine. But the vaccine, while it protects you, will take up to six weeks to develop that protection. And if you get infected today, what was really been missing in this response has been the treatment arm. And thank you, Governor, for getting this treatment out there because it's sort of been one of those best-kept secrets in COVID about this really effective monoclonal antibody treatment, which would work today. Meaning we can give you these antibodies. They, they directly target the virus that is attacking your system and can reduce your chance for hospitalization and death by 70%. And we've already seen lots of success stories from around the state. In fact, many of you may have seen that photo of one of the women that went to our Jacksonville site to receive treatment. She was laying on the ground feeling really ill. Well, I had the privilege of getting to speak to with her today, and she tells me that she has some underlying medical conditions that prevent her from getting vaccinated. She unfortunately contracted COVID, and she was just getting sicker and sicker as the days went on. And uh, fortunately, her mother had been following the governor's press conferences and knew about these monoclonal antibodies, and she was able to get referred to the Jacksonville site where she received treatment. And today, she told me she's feeling so much better, and she's convinced had she not gotten that Regeneron treatment, she would have been one of those people in the ICUs on the ventilator. That's how bad she really felt. They hope to have 20 or perhaps 21 of these Regeneron treatment centers open in Florida by the end of the day or by early tomorrow. Time now for your calendar of events. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission meets in Ocala at 8.30 to discuss redfish research. The Florida Citrus Commission meets at 9 in Bartow. The agenda includes an update on domestic orange juice marketing. The Board of the Southwest Florida Water Management District meets at 9 in Brooksville. Trustees at the University of South Florida meet at 9.30 in Tampa. 
The Revenue Estimating Conference is holding a meeting about the Tax Collection Enforcement Diversion Program at 10. That's followed by a meeting about monthly revenue estimates at 10.15. The Florida Health Insurance Advisory Board meets by conference call at 2. And the Florida First Responders Suicide Deterrence Task Force holds an online meeting at 2. Finally today, a Florida woman is accused of throwing a cat named Stanley in the river while it was locked inside a box. 53-year-old Christina Thistle was kicking her boyfriend out of her mobile home and didn't think he was moving fast enough. The ex-boyfriend says Thistle picked up a crate holding the nine-month-old cat, threw it in the intercoastal waterway. He dove in to rescue Stanley and had it wrapped in a towel when deputies arrived. She was arrested for animal cruelty, and later at the jail she was charged with simple assault after threatening to murder her ex. She also had several charges of domestic violence on her rap sheets. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 